Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. And uh, we're grateful that you guys have joined us this morning. Um, we have been in a series, as Tim uh, told you, called That is a Great Question. And First Peter uh, 3.15 has been kind of our, our, our inspiration for the series, which reads this. You have it up there? In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. Asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So what we're going to do, and I've invited, I've got Pastor Kevin here from Strength Church in Long Beach. Pastor Charlie here from The Well Church, The Well Church in Long Beach. And obviously Pastor David. We've come to answer, uh, we've, got a, we've got a bunch of your questions that we're going to answer today. And so we thank you for asking. Uh, when, when we uh, set apart Christ as Lord, that, what we're saying is we're going to submit to his lordship. That, that Jesus is truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. And so we're going to submit to his uh, uh, authority on these questions. And so we're going to get right at it because we have 11 questions that we're going to try to, try to tackle this morning. And we're, and we're all preachers here. So uh, we've got to, I've got to warn you, we've got to keep this low because uh, keep the answers uh, just firm. We're not going to try to debate this question. We're just going to give biblical perspective on, on all these questions that you guys answered. So we're going to start with Pastor Dave. And the first question is, is there any proof God exists? Is there any proof? That depends on what you mean by a proof. Uh, there was a scholar in the 13th century who developed five proofs for the existence of God, but they're more like signposts. John 1.18 says that no one has ever seen God at any time. So it's not like we can put God under a microscope or see him through a telescope. We can't prove his existence in that way. We can't see him. Most people don't hear him audibly. Some do. But there are uh, signposts that point us in the direction of the house of God. And if we'll watch them and listen for them, they'll lead, lead us right, right up to the door of God's house. Psalm 119 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, rather. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above shows his handiwork. And so I'd like to share with you one of those signposts. Scientists around the time of Einstein in the early part of the 20th century started to discover that the universe was finite and limited. It wasn't eternal and infinite like they had believed. And Einstein himself didn't want to believe this. But his calculations and the math led him to this conclusion. And, and we also know, scientists tell us today, that the universe is expanding, if we can imagine that. There are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy and 100 billion galaxies that we can see, and it's, it's expanding. It's getting larger. Not larger, it's traveling out into space. And if we could turn time backwards and collapse the universe back in on itself, we would come to a point where there would be no space, no time, no matter, nothing at all. And so what I'm trying to, to get to is this. At some point, we have, to, we have to understand how or try to understand how or why the universe came into existence out of nothing. At some point, it did. There was nothing and then there was something. And so my question for you is this. This is the signpost. Which takes more faith? 
that the all-powerful, eternal, infinite, all-knowing God of the Bible brought the universe into existence out of nothing? Does that take more faith than this proposition? The universe just came into existence out of nothing, by itself, on its own, for no reason. I don't know about you, but the second one takes more faith than I have. And so I have to say I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And so there we are at God's house. There's the door, but you still have to open it and go in. You still have to make that decision of faith and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are signposts that can take us there. Thanks, Dave. Um, you've got the next, th next three questions, too. Um, uh, the second question is, uh, why, is why is Christianity right and all other religions wrong? Aren't all religions basically the same? All right, well, that's a two-part question. I'm going to take the second part first and come to the first part uh, a little bit later on down the line. Okay. But uh, the short answer is th this. No, all religions are not the same. And uh, I can show that. We can show that most people who ask that question do so because they haven't taken the time to, to study what the different religions actually say about spirituality and God if they even believe in a God. Mm. And so let's take... The, the three great monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and talk about what they say about some of the major beliefs of Christianity. So, for example, Christianity says that the books of the Old and New Test Testament are, are the Word of God. Judaism says yes to the Old Testament, no to the New Testament. Islam says yes to the Law of Moses, yes to the Psalms, or at least some of them, and yes to the Gospels, but that's it. They all say something different about a very basic belief. Let's go to the next idea. What do they say about Jesus? Christianity says that he was the son of God, who is equal with God. Judaism says, no, that's a polytheism. God doesn't have a son. Islam says it even more, strenu even more strenuously, no, God doesn't have a son. That's polytheism. And again, they can't all be right. Yeah. They can't all be right. They say different things. How about Jesus' death on the cross? Christianity, of course, says yes. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. Judaism says he died on the cross, yes, but as a false, blasphemous teacher. In fact, one source I, I studied said that Jesus was the most influential Jewish teacher ever and the most dangerous because he was a false teacher, and he was crucified rightly for that reason. Islam said that Jesus wasn't crucified. Someone else was crucified in his place, but God did catch him up to, heav to heaven uh, so before he died. So he wasn't crucified at all, according to Islam. And again, they can't all be right. No. no. So, uh, so we need to make a decision. And I, I could go on and on about the other religions <laughs> of the world, but we don't have time. But they don't all say the same thing, and they can't all be right. Only one can be right, and it'll come to that the reason for saying Christianity is right in a few moments. Yeah, yeah. And so with that, piggyback on that, do all religions lead to the same God? Again, no, they do not. Uh, again, it's a question that, that I used to ask before I studied other religions, and they don't lead to the same God. So, for example, Christianity says that God has lived eternally forever as three persons, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Three distinct persons who are one God, 
and all are equal and worthy to be worshipped. That's Christianity's statement. That's the God that Christian faith leads us to. Right. Judaism says no. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is their creed. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God who is worthy to be worshipped. One person worthy to be worshipped. To worship anything or anyone else is idolatry. Mm. And Islam says the same thing. There's only one God. His name is Allah. And to worship anything or anyone else, including Muhammad, is idolatry. So again, they don't all say the same thing. They can't all agree. Right. We have to make a choice. So how can Jesus be the only way to God? That's the great question. Yeah. And that's the answer to the first question in this series. To ask that question, how can Jesus be the only way to God, is to imply that he is at least one way to God. Right? He is a way to God. But in order to say that Jesus is a way to God, he has to be the only way to God. Otherwise, he is no way to God at all. And I say that because of what Jesus said. I'll cite only two <clears throat> passages. John 14, 6, Pastor Mike referred to already. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he himself made the claim to be the only way. The second thing he claimed to be is the revelation of God. John 14, 9, a little bit later, uh, Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, get ready, has seen God. So he claimed to be the full and ultimate revelation of who God is. Now, there are four ways to explain these statements. Now, number one, we could say that Jesus is a liar. He knew he wasn't God, but he said he was anyway, and so no one should believe or trust or follow him because he's a liar. The second reason would be that he was insane. He sincerely believed he was God, but he was delusional. He had delusions of grandeur. And since he's insane, again, no one should trust him or follow him. The third possibility is that the apostles lied. They too knew he wasn't God, but they said he was anyway. They became so impressed with him that even though they knew he wasn't God, they said he was. And they were either lying or delusional or both, and no one should believe what they said. The fourth explanation is that both Jesus and the apostles told the truth that he is the only way to God, and he's the only way to know God. And again, I can lead you right up to the door of God's house, but you've got to make a decision to step over the threshold. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Charlie, so if, if, if you, the only way to be saved is through Jesus, what about people that don't hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think I would just say that uh, just for anybody that's asking these questions, just know that we've probably all struggled with these questions as well. Like right. these are these are to the core of humanity. And so um, not knowing the context in which this is being asked, uh, I would piggyback off everything Pastor Dave just said. Uh, and I think the the tricky part in that question is some assumption that there is some innocence in anyone. Um, right. that's, that's anti-biblical to assume that there's, that there's innocence. Um, we're not, we're not guilty because we haven't heard the gospel. Uh, we're, we're guilty because we've rebelled against our creator. Uh, 
so if we were guilty because we haven't heard the gospel, then there would be some uh, panic on our part um, because of that. The, the other thing I would say is that this question should drive your mission. This question of what about those who haven't heard about Jesus uh, should really drive your mission. It should be the driving force of your great commission uh, that Jesus gave. And so as you, if, if this question's burning in your heart, burning in your, in your soul, I would say get after it. Because the reality is there are plenty of people who have not heard the gospel. And God calls on his church. Jesus sends his church, everyone in, in, that's listening most likely, to go and to share with our neighbors and with the tribesmen all over the world that have never heard about Jesus. I would also just add to that that there's, a, there's an assumption at this day and age that everybody in America has heard the gospel, and I would just tell you that that is a total lie. Everybody in, the, in America has not heard the gospel, uh, not even close. And so there is opportunities everywhere around you to share that, that gospel. Um, in Romans 10, verse 13 through 17, let me open this up real quick. It says this, it says, um, it says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is where it gets to us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so I would just, I would just encourage you, if that's a question that you have, um, to rather than get stumped on it, to get to work. Yeah. To get to work. But, but just a little question, pushback. When, when Paul writes that we, how, how would somebody get saved unless someone preaches, isn't that our job? Yeah. The, well, the, whose job? The, the, the pastors, right? Because, or, or does, is everybody called to preach the good news? No, our Jesus? job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So yeah. our job is to, to <laughs> encourage you to do it. Um, and uh, the other, the thing is too, with that question about what are those who, what about those who never hear, um, God is sovereign. And yeah. if he wants somebody saved, he's going to make it happen. Our job would be to join him in the work and enjoy the blessing of doing that. You think of like Cornelius in Acts <laughs> chapter 10, uh, he, he wants to believe and, and God calls Peter to go and preach to him. Now, Peter doesn't know him, but God calls him to do it. And so if God's the one in charge of everybody's salvation and that comes through Christ alone, God's going to send somebody and make it happen. Amen. Amen. So the next question is kind of cool because it kind of piggybacks off of that. If we're calling the church to be the church and to go share the gospel, some people are hesitant to do that because they're not measuring up or, or they, they feel like they're not good enough uh, to represent Jesus. And so that le kind of leads us to the question for you, Kevin, is why are Christians such hypocrites? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. 
first of all, to answer that, we have to define what a hypocrite is. And a hypocrite is somebody who practices something different from what they preach, right? Uh, so in order to call us hypocrites as Christians, you have to first assume that Christianity is perfect and practicing Christianity is perfect. But if we were perfect, we wouldn't need a savior, right? right? <laughs> so the only thing that separates us from unbelievers is the fact that we have a savior, the fact that we have Jesus Christ, whom we can have his righteousness clothed on us, yeah. right? So when I think about that, and I hear that a lot of time, you know, a, a lot, like almost daily, I guess, when I'm uh, watching certain things or listening to certain things, uh, when I'm studying other things like um, atheists and so on and so forth, and they say, well, Christians are hypocrites, and that's their number one argument. And so I say this, um, if you want to call us hypocrites, then you're basically saying that you are looking at us to represent God, and God is a perfect God, mm -hmm. right? So if God is a perfect God, we will never measure up, right. just as much as anybody else will never measure up. So the answer to that question is, I wouldn't worry about being a hypocrite because we all fall short of the glory of God. The thing is to get back up and keep going. Yeah, I like the opposite being true too, that, that we don't represent God, but God represents us. And we have his perfect righteousness. You got more to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say because we're human. Yeah, because we're normal and, 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 and we make mistakes. And, and that's why we need the grace of God each and every day, right? Um, the next question is for you, uh, uh, Charlie. Um, do, do, do our prayers influence, encourage, or change God's results? Pass? My, I'm, am I allowed to pass? Uh, so, no. <laughs> yeah. So this this is a tough question, and uh, our I think people have been asking this question forever. And so again, good question. Uh, this is one again with the context not being known is is hard. So we'll just we'll go some verses, and uh, then maybe unpack it a little bit. Uh, I, w w there's, a, there's a moment in the Old Testament when, um, when the Israelites decide to make a golden calf and totally rebel against God uh, when Moses is, it's like the Ten Commandments. You can go back and read that. And God's ready to kill them. He's going to kill them all. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy these people. I'll start over with you, Moses. But everybody's dead. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. God, please don't do this. The, the, what, would, what would the Egyptians think if they see you do this? And God relents. So, and, and then throughout the New Testament, uh, I'm going to give you the verses. You can look them up just for the sake of time. Um, in Matthew 21, 22, John 14, 13, John 15, 7, Mark 11, 24, John 15, 16, John 15, 24, James 1, 5, and 6. It basically says you do not have because you do not ask. So there is certainly some sense in which we are called to pray for what we need. <clears throat> now, I would say that our 
since our, our idea of what prayer is, is what is skewed. Uh, that God is some genie that we don't engage with until we need something, and so we go and pray. Um, but prayer is about relationships. See, God's, he's not wishy-washy. He knows what he's going to do. He's not up there trying to, oh, please, I wish they would pray for this, and then I would do it. Uh, th that's a very weak God that we serve. Um, so the answer is, do they influence, encourage, or change God's results? And I would say they encourage God's heart because he wants the kind of relationship. Like you think of the relationship Moses had with God to be able to engage God on that level. Right? God didn't want to kill his people, and all of a sudden Moses engages with God in the kind of, because the depth of relationship. Um, it's the same with all of us. If we're talking about healing or something like that, God knows what, he, what he's going to do and wants to bring us along for the ride. Yeah. But, the, but prayer is, it's not primarily about us getting something from God. It's about our relationship with God, right? Like if you go and ask your wife for something once every year, but you don't talk to her for the rest of the year, you're not going to know her heart, right? Right? You're not going to know her heart. And so you may ask for something outlandish, and she may be like, that's not even who I am. That's not at all what I would do. But right. if you're in daily relationship with her, you already know her heart, and you would know. It's the same thing with God. That's good, man. You guys got any more to add to that? prayer I would affirm what Charlie has said and just say that uh, it's a it's a it's a conversion or a, con, uh, a connection between God's sovereignty and our choices yeah. and at some point they converge and come together and we will never fully understand how that works but I do agree that the the main purpose of prayer is relationship what we call the Lord's Prayer starts like this our Father, who mm -hmm. art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we start by calling God Father, which is the expression of an intimate relationship. And Jesus said that's the way to pray, yeah. our Father. It's good stuff. Can I share one verse really quick? You on can do that? whatever you want, Charlie. I can do whatever I want? Yeah. <laughs> that's I a dangerous. Uh, anyway, it, and this is First John 5.14, and I, and I think that, this sums it up in a verse, but I do encourage you to check out those other verses. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I think you don't know his will unless you have this relationship. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. Uh, the last question here is, during these rough times of protesting, do you think that we are now paying for our forefathers' mistakes by having slaves over 200 years ago? Kevin. Very good question, by the way. Um, if I had to assume, and I know it's dangerous to assume, I think uh, this question may have been born out of a verse like Exodus 34, 7, where it talks about generational curses. Um, but I will say this, that the ultimate generational curse came in the beginning, and that was our forefather, which was Adam. So 
I, I hear a lot about the generational curses and the things that happen and all that kind of stuff. But when you're in Christ Jesus, that's canceled out. So what happens is when we look at something like protesting, we have to look at, well, what does it mean to protest? Is protest a, um, is it a punishment? Are people going out there to punish you or to punish somebody else for something that is done? Or are people going and standing up for their rights? So if we look at protesting as people are going out there to stand up for their rights and then affect a change, then we have to look at it as, okay, it's not punishment. What it is, is it's trying to rectify situations that took place in the past, right? So if we look at this and we say, well, are we paying for mistakes? I don't think, I don't think anybody's paying for mistakes. But what's happening is that people and people of color are trying to stand up and to rectify some things that have happened since the beginning of this country. Um, so what that's going to take is all of us coming together, no matter if, if, if you look like me or look like these gentlemen on the stage, if we get together and we say, okay, and we acknowledge that some things took place in the beginning, right. and then we can move forward by coming together first with acknowledgement, second with taking action and sticking with that action. Good stuff. Got more to add to this? I know everybody chimed in on this and wanted to Yeah, just, just a little bit. Um, the first thing I would say is that the establishment of a slave economy in the U.S. colonies, in the, in the colonies of America and then the United States, is more than a mistake. Yeah. It's an egregious, flagrant, blatant evil. So let's just be clear about that. And then I would say, I'm not a prophet, so I can't say whether or not God is judging us. However, it's clear that we are experiencing the negative consequences of slavery still to this day in the wide gap that exists, especially between white and black. There are other hostilities be between other ethnicities, but that's the main one, and there's a reason for that. It, it goes all the way back to slavery. And so we're, we're still feeling the negative consequences of that evil today. And as Kevin said, uh, some people are out there protesting, standing up, saying something, trying to make that right. Because God is a God of justice. And believe me, he wants justice. And so they're right to do that. Agreed, across the board. Um, to add to that, I think the unfortunate truth of the human condition is that we are, we are sinners. Um, and I think, I think what we're seeing going on now is in, in a lot of ways is really good because we're, ad we're addressing something that has kind of been painted over for a long time. Uh, it's, and so I think in that, in that way it's good. I think with talking about like slave economy and with going back to our forefathers, um, you look at the uh, impact that the Egyptians, the slave, the slave culture that they had over the, over the Israelites, and, and I, I mean, they, that's still powerful to this day in Jewish culture. That was because they, because going back to your, like Jesus is not Messiah to them, uh, that is still what they believe as like the biggest 
moment was their freedom, the biggest moment in their entire culture. You're talking thousands of years ago. And so I don't think necessarily that we're paying for mistakes. I certainly think we're we not maybe necessarily each one of us, but our country made our bed and we're lying in it. And, and so our job and as the church then is to remember mission, remember that each one of us has been redeemed by Christ and has a place to own in our own heart uh, with our own sinfulness and to, again, like realize that I think we're, the reality is everything we have that feels negative and that's negative in our life has to do with our heart, and, yeah. um, and we're not immune to that. And it's safe to say if, if Jesus was here and, and in the church today, I think, I think he, would, <laughs> he wouldn't be doing things like this. He would, he would be doing things so differently. I mean, he approached and he walked into cities that he wasn't supposed to, the Samaritan woman, you know, and he sat at their wells and he talked to them. He broke those barriers. Uh, and, and the Samaritans were the, the, the ones that were considered a, a, a lower class citizens, right? And, uh, and, and Jesus would go into the leopard colonies. And Jesus would, he would do all these different things. So the question I want to kind of end with is, one, how is the gospel the good news for this, for, for race and injustice? And, 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 and what does justice for all look like? What is really justice for, in light of the cross, right? I don't know that, because here's the thing, I don't know that we're going to solve the injustice issue. But Jesus has. I think the gospel is the good news for it. And do we have to wait? I'm, I'm piling on questions now. Do we have to wait till Christ returns until justice for all? Is the gospel the good news for this? I'll ask you, Pastor Dave. We'll start there. And, and what does justice for all look like? I think, I think the gospel is the only hope for this, yeah. truthfully. And uh, justice looks like this that we, we understand that there is only one race, the human race, yeah. but it's made up of a million ethnicities. And we're all different from each other. Some of it has to do with different language, different customs, different national, nationality, different place of geography, but we're one race. Yeah. And, and we are one in, in, G, in Jesus. Galatians 3.28 says, there is no more male nor female, male, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. But justice, uh, so there's the unity, and we don't, America is divided today, as I see it, and, and the only hope for unity is Jesus. The only hope that can, that can bring together all the diverse elements of our society is Jesus. Yeah. But justice would, would happen when every person, regardless of his or her ethnicity, has equal opportunity and equal right to develop their life, uh, to, to start a career, to grow a family if they want to, to get educated if they want to, without being discriminated against for any reason whatsoever. And I do believe that as far as we can, God wants us to establish that kind of justice here on earth before Jesus comes. Jesus said uh, to play, pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. And so, yes, I believe he wants that justice now. It won't be complete till he comes, but he wants it now.
Kevin, is, is the gospel the good news and justice for all? Uh, yeah, I, I think so because, um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, that's, that, that's a pretty, uh, pretty straightforward answer, uh, but I will expound on it. The, the gospel is presented to everybody, regardless of race, color, creed, uh, sex, whatever it is, it's presented to everybody, and it's a free gift of salvation that's available to anyone who hears it. So with that in mind, I think um, human beings have set up a hierarchy, and that's a very human thing to do, is to set up a hierarchy based on race, or a hierarchy based on sex, or a hierarchy based on um, you know, uh, social economic status, that sort of thing. But I don't believe God has done that. I don't believe God has ever done that. I believe that um, God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, put us all in the same category. Mm. So because of that, I agree with Pastor Dave saying that uh, God wants justice. God wants us to wake up to ourselves. I always talk about the mirror that God shows us so we can look into it. God's showing us a mirror as a country. God's showing us a mirror as a people. And he's saying, look into it and see what's really going on. Yeah. Because I think, and, and you and I have talked about this, a lot of times we have a tendency to sweep things under the rug. And as you know, when you sweep things under the rug, they end up coming to the surface eventually. So you have situations like um, what's happening in the news every once in a while, right? You have, um, you know, every few years you have somebody getting killed by the police or you get uh, lynchings going on. There's still lynchings in the South, um, these sorts of things. And what happens is we all go, oh, yes, we're together and we're going to march and we're going to be equal and all that. And it's going to die down eventually. And then we're going to sweep it under the rug. So what I believe we need to do is we need to put that in the forefront not concentrate on it every day, obviously, but have it as something that doesn't get swept under the rug, that, that, that stays out in the open, that we continue to deal with on a daily basis. And that's going to take one heart at a time. Yep. Yep. One heart at a time because Jesus changes us from the inside out. So I believe as we con continue to preach the gospel, as we continue to spread the word of God, that's going to happen naturally. I love that because it, it is one heart at a time, one person, and that multiplies. Um, I would say absolutely, gospel is still the good news. Uh, and I think in terms of how it, how it plays out, I would go to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So there's this sense of, like, you're good like you, the gospel has saved you, period, but also and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And so I think there's this sense of like the gospel every day reminding us that we need Jesus every day, every day, every yeah. day. Um, and there's, when we forget that, we place ourselves higher on the pecking order. Uh, it's a natural human tendency. Um, and so I would take us back again to ancient Egypt, right? The, the tricky part is when you look at Moses, Moses was high on the pecking order, right? And, and it was Moses, but it was Moses who ended up being called to free the Israelites. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus came in, uh, not high on the pecking order necessarily, but he was Jewish, right? And so him doing things like going to the woman at the well and embracing a, uh, a Gentile culture, again, he was somebody with, at the very least, I, I don't mean this in a sense of like Jesus had an easy life, but mm -hmm. at the least, Jesus's race was culturally, in his context, the one that had benefits. Sure. So what I'm getting at is... Um, if you find yourself in a position where you realize like, oh man, I have something to do here. I have something to share. And I find myself in a position where just because like who I am and what I was born to look like, I have a position of uh, authority in some weird sense or privilege to use that word. Um, the truth is there comes responsibility with that. And I think that that's hard, though. Like, Moses didn't want to do it, you right. know? <laughs> uh, and so I think that there's – it's hard, but it's, it's what has to happen. Right. And if you're new and, and you don't even know what we're talking about, this gospel thing, the gospel is the good news is that, is that we are created by God and God loves us. Uh, he, he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The bad news is that he had to do that, and it's because we're all sinners, in need of salvation, in need of God's grace. And God makes a provision for us by sending us Jesus to die on our behalf. And he rose again after three days, promising to, to this good news, to promise to save sinners and to fill them with our Holy, his Holy Spirit, that we would repent of and live righteously. And I think that's the, the idea is that once saved, always saved. That's, that's another question that came up, right? Uh, can you lose your salvation? Um, the idea is that we're called to live righteously. And, and, and when, it talk, when we talk about this race issue, we, we do need to take and recognize our privilege, but we need to use our privilege to bless others. And I think that's super important. If you want to know more about the gospel, more about being part of this church, please sign up for our one-on-one -on -one class. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to continue in our worship. We'll invite the band back up. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for coming and sharing the panel with me. Um, we love doing this, and I love you guys. You guys are all good friends of mine, and I appreciate you guys being here. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for these men, Lord, who have dedicated their lives to, uh, to preach this good news that, that you've called us to. God, would you bless the remainder of this service? Would you bless all those watching right now? Uh, would you fill them with your spirit? Would they know how relevant the gospel really is uh, for their lives and to answer all these questions? Uh, Jesus, we thank you that your word stands so true even today. Would you, would you be with us? Would you be with us as we continue to worship? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.